I confess. I wonder, uh, does my roommate jerk off with our dog on the bed? Or does he put her outside? <laughs> that was like a really mixed reaction. Be in the crowd. It would be disconcerting. You're like having a moment and then you feel something cold and wet on your nose. And you're like, <laughs> do I stop? <laughs> I don't know. No, my dog's in the bed sometimes. It's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. They don't not. know. All right, I confess. I forgot I had a tampon in while I was drunk. A guy fingered me and pulled it out. Uh, happens all the time. Surprise! I confess the wife and I met an awesome couple with benefits. Six weeks ago, we clicked great, and the sex was fucking mind-blowing amazing, and yes, we are here with them tonight. Hooray for polyamory. Sex. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it. Except at Bedpost Confessions, a storytelling show based in Austin, Texas. Whether the stories are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Welcome to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. I'm Bedpost producer Miranda Wiley. This week, we have the return of M. Berger to our stage with the story, That Time of the Month, about dealing with the consequences of situations that often go unplanned. M. Berger is a writer and director. Her film, Pregnancy Party, was featured at Texas's all-women film festival, Transform. Her collection of short stories, You'll Never Believe How These Kids Get Murdered, and other super short clickbait tales, is now available. Links in the show notes. One other note before we hear Maggie's story. All Bedpost storytelling productions are made accessible to the deaf audience members by the fantastic interpreters from Soul Illumination. Though the interpreters are there to serve the deaf and hard of hearing, they enthrall the entire crowd with American Sign Language. If you hear a roar of laughter and don't understand why, the interpreter may have stolen the show for a minute. Now on with the episode. Here is M. Berger with That Time of the Month. I sat at the window of the abortion clinic, playing the nurse's reaction over and over in my head. Her reaction was a quick and subtle, disapproving frown. Do you want us to start you on some kind of birth control, she had asked. I don't know, I answered honestly. Now, I wish that I could tell you that I had chosen to go off my birth control because I read that one study that correlated prolonged birth control use with infertility. I also wish that I could tell you that I even remotely tried to research free birth control options after I joined the millions of of uninsured Americans in the United States. But to be honest, my libido had been stagnant for years and with no signs of improvement. And to be extra honest, I was just lazy. By the time I had been laid off of my job and therefore my insurance in January of 2016, I hadn't had sex in months and I'd been single for years. I would experience sporadic, intense sexual need, but as soon as I would start to act upon it, I would immediately lose interest. It had gotten so bad that I would go to sex parties to chat with my friends (laughs) and then leave before all the sex and play started. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'll just let that sink in for a minute. (laughs) I would go to sex parties to hang out and then leave before the actual sex happened. I just assumed that birth control or not, I would continue not to have a sex life. I had come to identify half-jokingly as asexual. And now, with no reliable income, I had zero plans to pay for my really expensive birth control out of pocket. Now let me pause really quickly and answer your immediate question. Did it not concern you that you were suddenly zero interested in other people's genitals? (laughs) And my answer is, of course. (laughs) I had sat down with my gynecologist a few times and asked her about my significantly decreased sex drive. Her response was always the same. If you go off the birth control, you're likely to get a cyst, again, which could kill you. And also, this is the lowest hormonal birth control that exists, which is why it's so expensive. So are you sure your block isn't a mental one? I would accept her answer and hope that future medical science would one day solve my problem. But to be honest, once you hit the three-month mark, sex really stops becoming that important. I was sexually uninterested, and that disinterest was quickly turning to apathy. See, I had been taking the same really expensive birth control pretty much nonstop since I was 12. I was an early bloomer. I had to start wearing a bra in fifth grade after my gym teacher at my Catholic private school complained to my mom that my breasts were distracting her class. (laughs) Questionable. That was a questionable one. (laughs) I had my first period a week before we had sex ed in sixth grade and refused to tell anyone about it. I didn't want to have boobs, and I didn't want to have blood gush out of my vagina. (laughs) I didn't want to have dark hair on my legs, and I really didn't want to grow up. But unfortunately, like many young girls, I was forced to grow up when I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome on Christmas Day in 2004. I was just 12 years old. After a late-night, four-hour ER trip, the doctor told me that I would have to be on birth control now to keep future cysts from growing. I asked her until when, and she said, let's not think about that now. Birth control at 12 years old felt dirty. Birth control was for older women who were having sex. I wasn't ready for those discussions or those labels. I asked every year if I could be taken off, and every year I was told no. Twelve years later, I had only been off birth control for more than a few days once during a five-month study abroad trip. And now, jobless and insuranceless, I gathered myself up off the metaphorical and literal floor of my studio apartment and decided that I was not about to pay $70 a month for that shit out of pocket. I had been fine the last time I was off birth control, and I would be fine again, I told myself. I was an unemployed person now, and unemployed people don't spend money on expensive, fancy prescriptions they don't need to survive. I figured that I would probably be fine until I found another job and was able to get insurance again. I lied to myself that I just wanted to see what it was like off birth control. A friend of mine recommended that I download a free period tracker app to help me track my periods now that I didn't have that daily reminder. Another friend handed me a handful of condoms. I have good friends. (laughs) And six months later, as I sat dramatically staring out of the window of the abortion clinic after my abortion procedure, I genuinely asked myself, what the fuck happened in the last six months? In January, I went off my birth control, and by March 1st, I had successfully fucked my way through at least six different men in my extended friend group. 
I would have fucked just as many women, but as my more heteronormative bisexual female homies know, it's all about the access. I had gone from completely uninterested in sex to waking up in the middle of the night humping my body pillow multiple times a week. I was a sex savage. I was using skills of seduction that I didn't even know I had. (laughs) Sure, I felt a little concerned at the idea of potentially growing another cyst and dying, but I also felt really good. (laughs) I remember... God... (laughs) I remember a session with my therapist well into March when I wasn't slowing down and was up to eight men in three months. I was explaining to her how I had masturbated on my recent drive down to San Antonio to see my family and how a man in another car had seen me. (laughs) I had gotten a real thrill out of it. curious because I had never had any exhibitionist tendencies before that point. She was curious as to how I didn't get into a car accident. (laughs) I went from never, and I completely mean this, never watching porn to watching porn multiple times a week. My porn searches of any used to include terms like amateur, romance, spanking, and cute. (laughs) Now... (laughs) It included terms like rough, gangbang, and choking. I I now had all of the dating apps, all of them. I went from once before bed and then kicked them out sexual encounters to being able to have all-night sex-a-thons back-to-back with a man I just met. Now, I'm an extremely sex-positive human, As long as you're safe and it's consensual, you do you. I love being adjacent to the BDS scene. I love listening to my friends' sex stories. But I had just gone from identifying as asexual (laughs) to fucking anything and everything that even remotely showed interest in me in less than half a year. (laughs) I felt like I was going through a second puberty. I was flying so far out of my own comfort zone, and I couldn't help but kind of start to judge myself. Well, half of me was judging myself. The other half was enjoying feeling sexual again as I threw away men like toilet paper. (laughs) One night, (laughs) after ditching one dude after a boring date and hooking up with another guy later that same evening, I sat in my bed covered in juices and thought to myself, I'm a fuck girl now. On one particular night, I remember going, da- going out with a few friends after a storytelling show. <laughs> I had killed it. <laughs> and I was feeling good and looking cute. We ended up at Sidebar because I decided I wanted to have that kind of night. <laughs> I'm glad you guys got that joke. <laughs> And I immediately spotted a cute guy across the bar. He was exactly my type. 
premature gray hair, emotionally unavailable, mid-30s, dad bod, Capricorn. (laughs) I was all in. I quickly convinced him with my eyes, one of my new superpowers, (laughs) to come over and say hi, which he did. And a couple hours later, I had him back in my bed where we fucked like rabbits all night long. It was amazing. We did everything in my toolkit and more. It was the best sex of that four-month period. (laughs) Halfway through our second round of the night, the condom broke, so we stopped. He finished off in the bathroom, and I rummaged around for a plan B that I knew I had hiding in one of my cupboards. (laughs) Just wait. (laughs) We fucked again in the morning, and that was that. No texts, no flirting, no anything, which was completely, I was completely fine with that. Five weeks later, I took a pregnancy test to prove to myself that I was imagining my symptoms. My barely used period tracker had told me that I was two weeks late. The last time I had been pregnant, over two and a half years ago, I never had morning sickness. I was just exhausted and bloated for weeks before I caught on. This time I had absolutely no other symptoms except an unused diva cup. I felt my heart sink into my feet when I saw the result, positive. Fuck, I thought to myself, I have to do the stupid thing again. I was so mad. I'd literally been on birth control only twice in the past 12 years and ended up pregnant both times. I was learning that I was unmistakably fertile as fuck. (laughs) And that leads me to where I was at the beginning of the story, dramatically staring out of an abortion clinic window. I texted Mr. Capricorn dad bod the $400 receipt. That shit is expensive without insurance. (laughs) He responded saying that he would send me his half of the money once he got off work and asked if I was okay. I responded that aside from having the inside of my uterus scraped out twice just a minute ago and my intense and urgent Whataburger craving, (laughs) I was fine and the doctor said that they had gotten everything. He responded, K. I spent the next two days in bed, gently humping my body pillow, recovering physically and mentally. <laughs> I didn't want to give up my lifestyle, but, I, but if I was going to continue the momentum of casual fucking, either I had to make some big, big personal changes or go back on my birth control. It was a really complicated decision because I have a confession to make. I lied earlier. Me and Mr. Capricorn didn't use a condom at all that night, or that morning. He was already inside me before I could even stop to ask, and when I figured it out, I didn't even care. I was being less than safe during this crazy sexcapade part of my life. I didn't care about growing a cyst, and I didn't care about being safe. I was too ashamed to tell anyone, so I lied to everyone in my life who knew about the abortion, and I lied now. And the plan B... Not a lie, but this is the second time that I've had sex without a condom, taken plan B, and still gotten pregnant. Like I said, fertile as fuck. But I think it's important for me to tell you the truth. Otherwise, the next part of the story might not make sense. I want you to get here with me. And in my experience, that's hard to do when you get caught up in the details of condoms, 
who fucked who how, and once the word abortion comes into the story. See, once my libido turned on again, I felt invincible and sexual and wanted and powerful running through those men, and I'm lucky that a fetus was the only thing I caught. So after two post-procedure recovery days in bed, I decided that I loved my new libido and wanted to keep it. And after checking in with my new gynecologist, I decided to stay off birth control with the caveat that I got semi-annual ultrasounds to check for cysts. Still haven't gotten one. (laughs) But everything else had to change. The first step was to stop being an idiot. I went to the Austin Regional Clinic and got all the free condoms. (laughs) Seriously, all of them. I have like 50. (laughs) The second thing I did was start to really track my period more closely. I made it a habit. Wake up, put in my information, start my day. Since then, I've already learned some really valuable insights into my cycle. And finally, I learned that there is a seven-day period every month where I will do anything to get the shit fucked out of me. (laughs) That's right. My ovulation cycle happens once a month, and it's a whirlwind. I'm on it right now. I'm pretty sure that I just have eternally wet panties for seven days straight once a month. (laughs) But seeing it on a calendar, uh, preparing for it to happen, and tracking it has made all the difference. I still feel powerful, agile, sexual, but I realize I don't have to neglect my health in order to do it. When I was libido-less, I didn't even know that I missed my sex drive, but now I'm not sure what I would do without it. There's nothing better than tuning out of a boring meeting and thinking about bending someone in the room over the table and fucking their brains out. (laughs) I hope none of my coworkers are here. (laughs) It's how I make it through my day. And once a month, I throw some extra condoms in my purse and go out looking for my next dad bod. Thank you. I confess that the very first time I discovered my vaginal secretions was in the 10th grade when Miles Rogers, rest in peace, fingered me in a limousine at the homecoming dance, and I had, I had been snailing all down his black pants. I didn't realize snailing was a thing, but then I got the visual, and I was like, oh. Okay. I'm happy to hear that, because I was like, snailing, okay, it makes sense. Had never heard it before. You're even educating us. Yeah. Thank you. I needed something to define that, so thank you. (laughs) I confess. Looking back, I realized that my foot fetish goes all the way back to pre-K, when I used to have all the girls walk on me. Yep, that's where it's so cute. (laughs) Bedpost Confessions is recorded in front of a live audience at the North Door in Austin, Texas. Follow at Bedpost Confessions on Instagram and Facebook for even more audience confessions and photos from the show. Links, as always, are in the show notes. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Miranda Wiley, and Sadie Smythe. Our podcast production team is Mariah Gossett, Mike Moody, and Permanent Record Studios. 
Have you shared the show yet or left a review? Either way, we appreciate you sharing your love for this podcast. To view our full 2020 calendar or claim an I Confess t-shirt, tote, or journal, visit bedpostconfessions.com. Thank you and keep confessing.